you are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Wednesday show for you. We're going to talk about everything that's gone on the last two days in Major League Baseball. Home Run Derby Wednesday night. Last night, the All-Star Game. I did not talk about the Home Run Derby yesterday because I recorded before it was even over. And I've definitely got thoughts on the Home Run Derby. The All-Star Game yesterday, the National League ended a nine-year losing streak. They win 3-2. to two. We'll talk about that. Talk a little bit more about Northwestern football. Bob Huggins, we're going to get into that because I didn't really get into it uh, yesterday as much as I did when I first brought it up. So we'll get to all that momentarily. Let's start Monday night with the Home Run Derby. And I want to give a shout-out to Jason Stewart, former podcast guest on the Sports Daily producer for the Doug Gottlieb radio show who had a great tweet on Monday night and I wish I would have thought of it myself to tweet it out because I've thought this every single year they do the home run derby especially since they've gone to the new format which is just swing your ass off for three minutes and how many ever home runs you can hit that's how many your total is if you hit one over 440, you get an extra 30 seconds. If you hit two of them over 440 feet, you get an extra minute to swing out of your ass. But Jason's tweet was great, and it was, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's essentially, how are we letting little kids run around in the outfield shagging these balls when major league hitters are rocketing balls off their bat at over 100 miles an hour? Did you see that one kid get nailed in the face? Not to mention, because these guys are trying to hit as many home runs in as short of time as possible, these pitchers are literally throwing the ball, and the second it's off the bat, they're back into their motion hitting again and throwing again. There was a time where the pitcher wasn't allowed to throw the next pitch until the, the ball hit landed. Now, if it was an out and it immediately was a grounder, the pitcher can throw right away. But if this guy hits a moonshot 460 feet, technically that pitcher is not supposed to throw the ball again until the ball lands. But we know they don't do that anymore. Maybe they took out the rule. I know it was a rule at some point. But it's not like they're putting kids in the outfield who are college All-Americans. It's kids who probably won some sort of contest to be out there. And you're making them field line drives by pro baseball players? I've never understood it. I've seen, I mean, even on a fly ball that comes short of the fence and isn't a home run, how many times do you see kids out there misplaying it? Just a regular foul ball in the air. You ever tried to catch a foul ball? Excuse me, a foul ball, a fly ball. You ever tried catching a fly ball just in a, on a baseball field, especially in the outfield when you're, let's say 300 feet away from home plate, it isn't, if you're not athletic, first off, you're never catching it. If you've played baseball in your past, like I did for eight years, it's still not easy to do. Like, that takes practice. It doesn't just, because you have to judge, like, depth perception when the ball is hit off the bat, the, the height it's at, how fast it's traveling. All you got to do is watch those kids out there. I'm sure every kid that, that's in the outfield plays on a baseball team. Maybe some of them are even all-stars for their 6th grade team, 7th grade team, 8th grade team, 4th grade team, whatever it may be. How many of them 
look normal out there when there's a fly ball and they just stand under it and catch it like a regular outfielder? I'd say exactly zero. Yet, they're sticking all of them out there to just get be target practice for these screaming line drives that don't end up being home runs. I've never understood it. And I, I it's like a lawsuit waiting to happen because these pitchers are throwing pitches. Literally, you're getting two pitches in every five seconds. Pitcher throws it, guy swings. Pitcher throws it, guy swings. All within five seconds. And they're just it's just rapid fire. So speaking of the rapid fire, this changed, I don't know how many years ago, but it really added some intrigue to the Home Run Derby. Because remember, the Home Run Derby, for the longest time, was you got 10 outs. And basically, every time you swung the bat that wasn't a home run, it ended up being an out. And we would always see, and there was no time limit, so we would always see whoever the batting practice pitcher was would throw one pitch, and usually the guy would take it, and then he would swing at the next one, assuming it was a good pitch. But it, I think people got bored of that because it was just like, okay, we're watching too many pitches go right down the middle of the plate. And all of them did it. Nobody just swung at 10 straight pitches. They would swing at a pitch, they'd let the guy throw one, and then they would swing at the next one, assuming it was right down the middle. So it was more impressive when, you know, guys like Josh Hamilton back in the day had, I can't remember what round it was. It was like 28 home runs in Yankee Stadium when he was hitting for the, when he was on the Rangers because he only had 10 outs to do it in. Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners hit 41 home runs in the first round <laughs> on Monday night. In f- basically four minutes, because he had three minutes, and I think he had the minute extra. 41 home runs. Now, I'm not saying that's easy to do, because it's not. These guys, you can see, are just gassed, because you just never, even in batting practice before games, you don't swing that much, and especially swing to hit home runs that much. You get in the batting cage, I think you get five or ten swings. They're literally swinging out of their ass for four minutes straight with one 45-second break Whenever they choose to take it, most of them took it right around the minute and a half mark. I just, so it's impressive to see that many home runs go out, but here's the downside to it. Number one, kids getting, you know, torpedoed with baseballs right in the temple. And then number two, because the pitches are going so fast, not the speed of the pitch, but how many pitches are being thrown and how many swings these guys are getting in in three or four minute spans, we're not really seeing where the balls are landing. Yes, they're doing split screens, but in back in the day when you had 10 outs, every time someone swung and hit the ball, we watched until that ball landed. Everybody on TV, as a viewer, got to see where the home run landed or where the out was made. This... It's just so rapid fire. I thought the whole point of Home Run Derby was to see where it landed. And, you know, I guess you can see where it landed. You can look and see where it's landing because they have a split screen, but then you're back. Oh, this guy's swinging again. Oh, here goes another one. Oh, there goes another one. I mean, sometimes these guys are home run, hitting home runs on like five consecutive pitches. What's his face? Catcher for the Orioles, Adley Rushman, hit 21 home runs left-handed, got a 30-second bonus, and seven of the eight pitches he saw in that 30 seconds were home runs. But 
in 30 seconds he hit seven home runs on eight pitches? It's like, yeah, when it, right when it's off the bat, you can pretty much tell most of these. I'd say 80% of them right off the bat, you know they're home runs. But I just think the cool thing is watching a home run go. But I understand that's pretty boring for it to be only you only get 10 outs. So is there a happy medium in there? I don't know. But there's so many home runs hit now. It's almost it's an impressive feat because you've got to be in shape to swing that many times. And the other thing that sucks, Julio Rodriguez, hometown kid, hit 41 home runs more than anybody in the first round, wins his first-round matchup, but then loses in the second round, you know, because I think he hit 20 and the guy hit 30. And it's just – it's like – and same thing when Josh Hamilton back in the day, when you're playing in rounds, it's it should almost be like, I don't know, Maybe we do cumulative home runs, and it shouldn't be you're facing this guy in this round, and if you beat him, you advance to the next round because Josh Hamilton, that was one of the most memorable home run derbies in the history of baseball, and I bet you 0.0001% of you can tell me who won the home run derby that year that Josh Hamilton hit, Hamilton hit 28 in one round in Yankee Stadium. I'm almost positive it was Joe. Uh, it was uh, Joe Morneau, first baseman for the Twins. But sorry, Justin Morneau. I'm mixing him up with his teammate Joe Mauer. But see what I mean? Like some of the most memorable home run flashes that we had. Home run rounds. Josh Hamilton, 28. Julio Rodriguez, 41. They didn't even end up winning. So it's like it was great. But you would think that should be rewarded. I don't know. I don't I don't know how you fix it. I think there's got to be some sort of happy medium between the 10 outs and swing your ass off for four minutes straight. But people do like it. I tell you what, it's way more exciting than the game is every year. That's for sure. As for the game last night, you know my take. Ever since I've been on this podcast, the Sports Daily, which started in January of this year, all three major sports have had their quote-unquote all-star game. The NBA all-star game was in February. The NHL, the NFL Pro Bowl was in January. Might have been beginning of February, that week in between the Super Bowl. And then now baseball's midseason classic. The NBA all-star game is a joke. We all know this. There's no point, and I don't know how they're ever going to fix it. I don't think you can. You can't force these guys to play. It's just a different time. Yes, they tried in the 80s. They don't try now. They never will. They don't care. The NFL Pro Bowl is at least more interesting now. Flag football, nobody's getting, I mean, you can get hurt if you, you know, plant and blow your knee out or something, roll an ankle. But there's no tackling anymore because they weren't tackling before. and ended up being two-hand touch anyway. But I, I, I do like it, but it's not the football that we watch during the regular season, clearly. And the NBA isn't either. That game, it's the same basketball game, but nobody's trying. Even at, even until the even in the fourth quarter, they're not trying anymore. With the with the Elam ending, baseball is the closest thing any All Star game can get to, because as I've said in the past, it's not like you can't try when you're playing a baseball game, unless you're being obvious about it. You can easily not try in a basketball game. All you got to do is watch the NBA All-Star game. They don't play any defense. 
They just let the guy go to the rim and dunk or leave a guy wide open for a three-pointer. You don't see that in a real competitive basketball game. Football, like I said, we're watching flag versus tackle. Baseball, you know, if the starting pitcher went out there and he usually throws 95 to 97 miles an hour and mixes in a nice slider and then he goes out there for the all-star game and throws 80 miles an hour right down the middle, then yeah, you'd say this is a joke. These guys aren't even trying. But that's not what happens. These guys are all trying to strike the other team out. They want to win. The, the batters aren't just swinging willy-nilly at every single pitch thrown at them. You know, there's not a lot of strategy involved. It's just some teams got to put together a collection of hits or they need to get a timely hit or a timely home run. National League has just sucked for nine years. They finally won last night, 3-2. to two. Wasn't a very exciting game at all. A lot of outs. So baseball is doing what they can to kind of spice it up, which is let's put a microphone and an earpiece on players as they're playing, including the pitcher. You see that one inning where the pitcher was miked and then the batter, Corbin Carroll? Uh, it was, um, I want to say it was Nate Evaldi of the Rangers and Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks were both miked. I know Carroll was miked and I know Evaldi was miked. can't remember if that was the same inning or not, but they were literally talking to each other as they were facing each other. So that's interesting. You had Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman miked in the same inning talking to each other while also talking to the announcers. Like, that's what baseball needs to do. It's always been, I mean, are they, are they giving anything away? No, but there's nothing you can give away during a baseball game. But it was interesting seeing the pitcher on the mound and John Smoltz in the booth talking to Nate Evaldi saying, how are you going to work this guy? I mean, that's interesting to a baseball fan. It should be, at least, because you just never see that on a normal local broadcast. So I get why they're doing that. That's pretty cool. But the game itself, baseball just in itself, is boring. Like We've talked about this. It's a boring sport. It's why it's fallen way behind the NBA and the NFL. It's boring as fuck. They've sped it up, absolutely. The pitch clock is probably the greatest invention that thing has ever had, the sport has ever had. It's wonderful. They're knocking, I believe, 25 to 30 minutes off games this year. But still, the two and a half hours we do get of baseball games are fairly boring. A lot of downtime, not a lot of action. That's just the way baseball's always been. And in this day and age, as our kids grow up and they need to be, you know, they need instant gratification and they need short clips and highlights of things, baseball's the last sport they care to watch. Yes, I'm sure your kid loves baseball and, you know, has his favorite players. That's fine. I mean... I'm just saying they are in the they're more of the uh, exception now than to the rule because kids are way more interested in football and basketball just watching. I'm talking I'm not necessarily mean playing, I just mean watching because they're just more up tempo, more exciting sports. Baseball will always have this problem. You can't unless they fundamentally change the sport and that would then it just wouldn't be baseball anymore. I just don't see I, I don't see it changing and I I don't see what they can do. This is they're improving it as best as they can. I think you need to start adding those, you know, microphones during I mean we're we're getting it during the one game of the year. The All Star game, that's it. I know, I know when Fox has the game on Saturdays, I think they still do it to some players, but you know, it's almost something that we need come playoff time. And again, when it's more serious and the guys need to win these games, are they really going to be willing to go on a microphone 
and have have themselves mic'd up in the outfield or have themselves mic'd up on the mound during a playoff game? Probably not. And that's where, and you know, I don't blame them, but it certainly would help the sport if we always heard that. I mean, as much as I dog on the XFL and the USFL for the crappy leagues that they are and the money that they're losing and nobody cares, at least they're trying things and at least they're doing innovations where you're hearing the head coach or the offensive coordinator in the quarterback's ear giving us the play. We'll never hear that in the NFL because teams will never want to give their plays away. But in an upstart league like those, you kind of have to do it. And it's interesting. I mean, you kind of hear it. You hear the cadence at the line of scrimmage. You hear the quarterback talking to the receivers, talking to the running backs in the huddle, saying, do this, watch for this. I mean, you're just learning about the game, watching it. And I think it's pretty cool, but I don't think that's going to get adopted to the NFL anytime soon. Baseball needs to do this, and I think they need to do it more during the regular season. Get it on the local broadcast. Have your local broadcasters that you listen to when you watch your team have them talking to the players during the game. Not every inning, no. And, you know, do it to an outfielder. It doesn't necessarily have to be a pitcher. I mean, I think having the pitcher is really cool because you're hearing his thought process as he's facing a hitter. I mean, I think that's that's just that's some really cool stuff if you're, if you're into baseball and you really want to know the ins and outs and how pitchers think and how pitchers and catchers work together to get hitters out. I think that's excellent stuff. I just don't see a lot of pitchers agreeing to this past a regular season game. That's the problem. But National League won, ended the streak. Congrats, National League. It was a boring game. Three to two, not a lot of offense, not a whole hell of a lot happened. A couple good defensive plays, and that was about it. So it's pretty much what we come to expect from the Midsummer Classic. It's, it's baseball, a bunch of all-stars, players, a lot of substitutions, and, you know, you get a pitcher for one inning. You know, it's just like, great. Pitch for one inning. Wonderful. So as I said yesterday, I figured Pat Fitzgerald, the former head coach at Northwestern Football, was going to lawyer up. And by golly, he lawyered up. And he's going to fight this, going to say all this stuff. Look, the president of Northwestern came out and said in their investigation, they had spoken to 11 different players who had said there was hazing going on within the football program. This wasn't just one whistleblower who decided, I don't like Coach Fitzgerald for whatever reason, and I want to get him fired. They spoke to 11 players. So, yes, I understand that the players that are currently on the team did write a letter of support saying, hazing doesn't go on, we support Coach Fitzgerald. Clearly someone is flat out lying, and I have a feeling it's the players that are currently on the team because they want to protect their coach because they don't want to lose their scholarship. Because anybody that speaks out against it is clearly going to lose their scholarship and be taken off the team. So I understand why some of them came forward and wrote that letter. But here's what's going to happen, and here's what's going to the thing they're going to have to find out in the next, as this investigation still goes on and lawyers go back and forth and all this stuff, is did Pat Fitzgerald absolutely have no clue that any of this was happening within his program and if that's the case should he have known versus did he know and then just cover it up because he didn't want it getting out it's probably the last two I don't think there's any way the head coach of Northwestern did have absolutely no clue that this was happening in his program I if if it I was going to say if he claims that's the case 
and he never heard of one hazing incident in his 18 years at Northwestern. None of these things that were detailed reports of what was happening to these guys. Teammates dressing up in purge masks, dry humping guys in bedrooms. Naked quarterback center exchanges happening. Stuff going down in the showers. Stuff like that. If Pat Fitzgerald is saying in 18 years he never knew about that, one, I think he's lying, and two, he should have known. If it somehow is proven he had no idea, he should have known. You'd be like, well, how is he supposed to know what goes on when he's not around? Trust me, these guys spend so much time together, coaches and players. You're telling me that not even an assistant coach heard about it and maybe told Coach Pat, yeah, he was disciplined last night by the guys. Like, there's no way. There's no way he didn't know. And if he didn't, he should have. He absolutely should have been fired, and he absolutely should have known what the hell was going on within his own program, especially when it was as widespread as this. If it was just one guy saying one thing, I could be like, okay, we can question this. It's not. It's multiple players saying this was running rampant throughout our program. There's no way Pat Fitzgerald didn't know that, and if he didn't, he should have. So he's not getting hired anytime soon. And then did you see, apparently this is running around in the Northwestern baseball program too. They had a first season head coach, Jim Foster, this past year. And apparently he created such a toxic environment that he discouraged players from seeking medical attention for their injuries. He made racially insensitive comments and made an inappropriate comment to a female staff member. Northwestern's internal investigation didn't find enough evidence to corroborate all of the allegations, but the university didn't speak with players on the team while looking into the allegations. And now apparently nine players have come forward and said something off record. The hell is going on at Northwestern? My gosh. I mean, that is, they're going to have to have, I mean, I wonder if one of those programs is going to get the death penalty. Because that is bizarre. Anyway, finally ending with this. The Bob Huggins story is getting so weird. Bob Huggins is now saying, I never told my team in a meeting that I was resigning. The letter that the school released saying, I submitted a letter resigning my position. I never wrote. (laughs) And I'm suing the school for false termination or whatever. I want my job back. I mean, according to the school, they're saying he informed the team in a meeting on June 17th of his resignation and then submitted a formal resignation via email. And that email said, please accept this correspondence as my formal notice of resignation at West Virginia University head basketball coach and as notice of my retirement from West Virginia University effective immediately. According to Bob Huggins and his attorney, he never told the team he was resigning, and the email came from his wife, not him. Okay, whatever the case may be, Bob, you got a DUI back in, like, earlier this season. Uh, excuse me. You, you went on a radio show after the season was over, and you called out the Xavier student body with some really profound language some anti-LGBTQ language. Then a couple weeks ago, you got a DUI. 
why do you want to go back to this school? They don't want you. I don't care if you say, well, I didn't. I never told my team I'm resigning. Oh, my wife wrote that email. Great. Even if that's true, West Virginia doesn't want you as their coach anymore. Why would you want to sue to get back on the team and be the coach of a school that doesn't want you? I'm seriously thinking this guy is off his rocker. And I know he still wants to coach because, as I told you yesterday, he's third all-time in wins behind Coach K and Jim Beheim. And he's close to 1,000 wins in his career. That's why he wants it. I get it. He's going to – I guarantee someone's going to take a chance on him later on and someone is going to hire him to be a coach in Division One. probably a lower, lower, like a – you know, a Sunbelt school or something like that. He's not getting hired at a major program after this. No way. But I bet you he does coach because he wants to get to a thousand wins for sure. If not break the all time wins record, but Bob give up the West Virginia dream. They don't want you. And if West Virginia somehow does a one eighty and is like, Oh wow, no, you didn't send that Bob. And no, I guess you didn't hold that meeting telling the whole team. Yeah. Why don't you stay on board? No, it's done. It's over with. Bob, Western Virginia doesn't want you. Move on. Go take the Appalachian State job or something. I don't know. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review if you can. It's very much appreciated. And I will be back tomorrow with yet another Sports Daily. So, again, thank you all for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.